Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s? Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the hosts of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there, we've seen it, and we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field, and we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important, and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. That's why I'm excited to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. There is truly someone there for everyone. And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match. Which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash morning cup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. A cultural stigma runs the risk of becoming dangerous if unchecked and unevolved. On July 26, 2016, a group of individuals were stabbed in their sleep while living in a facility that was meant to keep them safe. 
and in the aftermath of the crime and its trial, the stigma held against those with disabilities was highlighted and left the citizens of Japan wondering if a change was necessary. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On the bank of the Sagami River in Sagamihara, Kanagawa, Japan, on over 7 acres of woodland and just about 1.2 miles from the Sagamiko Station, lives the Sukhoi Lily Garden, a residential care center run by a social welfare organization and established by the local government to house residents who have various degrees of intellectual disabilities as well as physical ones. Ranging from the ages of 18 and 75, the roughly 149 men and women live together with some able to engage in physical activities and sports, and others bedridden and in need of much more care. It was a facility where, one would hope, the residents felt safe and were kept away from harm. Unfortunately, on July 26, 2016, a 26-year-old man named Satoshi Umatsu would prove these statements to be false. At around 2.10, Satoshi, a former employee at the care home, used a hammer to break into the center through a window on the first floor, where he tied up the first staff member he came across, took his keys, and then started going from room to room, stabbing the residents in the neck as they slept. In total, he was able to take the lives of 19 residents, while 26 more were injured, 13 of which barely made it out with their lives. About 20 minutes after his attack began, police were called by another staff member, but by the time they arrived at the horrific scene, Satoshi had already left the facility. 29 ambulances were sent to the center to care for the wounded and perished, while police worked to try and find the man responsible for what would later be called one of the worst crimes committed on Japanese soil in modern history. The manhunt didn't last long, and about two hours after the Sagamihara stabbings, Satoshi Umatsu turned himself in at the police station, carrying a bag full of bloodstained knives and tools. Now in custody, police worked to find out exactly who this man was and why he committed this heinous crime. Satoshi Umatsu, born in 1990, was raised by an elementary school teacher father who trained his son to enter into the same profession. He, of course, did not follow in his father's footsteps, and eventually started working at the secure Lily Garden where, according to those who knew him, he went from a good, friendly, and outgoing man to a man completely despondent and changed by his line of work. After three years at the facility, he resigned the February before the murders, the same month that he tried to hand-deliver a letter to the home of the Speaker of the House of Representatives of Japan, but was obviously stopped by his security. He came back the following day and left the letter with security. In it, he appealed for a legislation that allowed ending the lives of those with multiple disabilities at the request of their guardians, claiming, quote, I envision a world where a person with multiple disabilities can be euthanized, with an agreement from the guardians, when it is difficult for the person to carry out household and social activities, saying it was, quote, for the sake of Japan and world peace, and would benefit the global economy and prevent World War III. After making his plea, he detailed an offer to target two facilities housing disabled men and women, and said he could tie up the staff, leaving them unharmed, and kill about 460 people before turning himself in. 
The letter was signed with his name, address, phone number, and name of his employer, and was eventually handed over to the Tokyo police, who notified the police in Sagamahara. All the while, Satoshi tweeted about his impending arrest for a crime he had yet to commit. Later that month, he was detained and questioned before being involuntarily committed to a psychiatric hospital for two weeks. Deemed not a threat, Satoshi was released on March 2nd, 2016, and murdered 19 innocent people just 146 days later. Because Japan is widely considered one of the safest countries in the world, Satoshi's crimes garnered quite a bit of public attention, with about 2,000 people lining up in the cold rain to try and get in one of the 26 available seats in his trial, and broadcast trucks lined the streets. On February 20th, 2017, Satoshi Umatsu was found mentally competent to stand trial and, four days later, was charged with 19 counts of murder, 24 counts of attempted murder, 2 counts of illegal confinement causing injury, 3 counts of illegal confinement, 1 count of unlawful entry, and 1 count of violating the Swords and Firearm Control Law. On January 8, 2020, Satoshi pled not guilty to the charges against him. And the following month, the prosecution answered by announcing that they would seek the death penalty for a crime that they called inhumane and left, quote, no room for leniency. Satoshi made no attempts to hide his involvement in the murders, saying he did kill the victims at his former workplace, with his lawyers claiming that he was under the influence of marijuana at the time, which altered his already fragile mental state. The trial itself was then briefly paused when they noticed Satoshi put something in his mouth and had to be restrained by security, but this only delayed the inevitable when, on March 16, 2020, he was sentenced to death for his crimes. This verdict was finalized on the 30th, and he withdrew his automatic appeals to the upper court. In the aftermath of the murders and the trial, a number of news sources highlighted the Japanese culture and their stigma against those who are disabled or cognitively impaired, as well as questioning the treatment of these individuals. None of the victims were named during the trial, referred to in terms like ko and otsu, meaning A and B, with most of their relatives fearing the stigma associated with having a disabled family member. And, while some spoke up with one publicly giving her daughter Miho's names, others maintain their anonymity, meaning some of the victims' names are still unknown. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on July 27th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.